If you're a nurse and you're moving to New Zealand, then you are going to love today's show. Today, I interviewed three nurses, two from the US, one from the UK, who have all moved to New Zealand to work as nurses in the past six months. They tell us the ups, the downs, the realities of what it's like to work in a hospital as a nurse in New Zealand. So let's jump into the show and meet Victoria, Katie and Miley and find out just what being a nurse in New Zealand is really like. Got it, got it, got it. Welcome to the NZ Ahead podcast. Everything you need to know about moving to and living in New Zealand. There's a whole world here. So nice to be with you again. We call Aotearoa on here, bro. Uh-huh. You'll be right. We are your hosts, Liz and Brian. Amazing New Zealand in the southern seas. See, that's where I belong. That's home. Okay, so welcome, nurses, to the podcast. So excited to have all three of you here. Um, can we just jump in and just introduce each one of you and say where, which hospital you work at and how long you've been working there, first of all? That would be great. Should we start with Victoria? Yes. I work at a hospice. So I work at Te Manga Hospice in Wellington, in Lower Heart. So I will probably have quite a different perspective and possibly no understanding of how, how the DHBs and hospitals work here. That said, my experience back home in the UK, I have a bit more experience of the socialised healthcare side of things. So hopefully got some bit more input. Um, yeah, so I'm a palliative care nurse. And when did you move from the UK? So we landed the 1st of September. I didn't start until the uh, beginning of October in my job. Right. So you've been here about, you've been in New Zealand about six months then? Yeah, six months. Yes. Okay. Thanks, Victoria. Katie? I moved over almost exactly a year ago. We started MIQ 18th of March, 2021. Can't believe that went fast. And I'm currently in the ICU at uh, Southern DHB. Right. Can I just ask what DHB stands for? District Health Board. Okay, thank you. Because I keep seeing that. And Miley, everyone knows who you are, Miley, but go on, pretend they don't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Miley. (laughs) Uh, We got here last July and I work at... um, Southern District Health Board, the same hospital as Katie, actually, but I work on a ward for mental health for older people. So a lot of dementia, um, chronic mental health issues. Okay. Okay. Thank you. It's, it, this has been one of those podcasts that I, I've been dying to do, actually. I couldn't wait because I know nothing about nursing and hospitals and the healthcare system. And we have so many nurses and, and healthcare workers coming over and they've got so many questions. So to have you three here um, to give us that view of like what, because that's all you want to know, isn't it? It's like, oh, I've got all these questions. What what do they do? You know, how different is it from the UK or from the States? So what we've done is we've put a list of questions together. We asked our community and they, you know, some of the nurses there said, oh, can you ask the nurses this? Can you ask them that? So I've written that down. And also Miley very kindly put a load of stuff down on a piece of paper for me to <laughs> read through and 
and you're going to answer those questions. So forgive me if I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't, but you three do. So I'm going to ask you the questions and, uh, and, and we can just go from there. How does that sound? Yeah. yeah? Okay. So can we just talk about patient ratios, um, support staff, the attitude of doctors and nurses, the attitudes of families and patients? Should we just talk about that first of all? So just the general environment. Who wants to go first? Victoria. I guess I'll, I'll start. Okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, go <Sorry>. ahead. <laughs> oh, I love Zoom. Um, so uh, in the ICU, because I know we have quite a few um, uh, in-hospital or acute care workers coming over, um, the ICU here is very different to the states um, in the sense that here we're one to one in the states it's two, well in California it's two to one um, where I'm from. Um, but it is one to one, but your patient is not restrained. Your patient is, um, you're doing all of the washing, you're doing all of the um, cleaning of the rooms when someone's transferred out you are, so you're acting as like the EVS personnel um, and you're running the ventilators. So there's no respiratory therapist, you're running dialysis. Um, and we generally in the Southern DHB, we generally do CRRT or um, continuous renal therapy. Um, so yeah, there's a lot extra that you're doing here. Um, the doctors will start IVs for you. Um, I smile cause you'd get slapped if you said that in the States, <laughs> if you asked a doctor to do an IV for you. Um, what else? Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, there's more that you're responsible for. You're also drawing up medications. You're mixing your antibiotics, you're hand pushing your antibiotics rather than hanging them in a bag. Um, you are doing all sorts of things like that, that sometimes you have a bit more help in the States with. Okay. Anyone want to add anything to that? Uh, that does sound quite similar to in the UK. I had a limited placement as a student nurse in ICU and it does seem like see any um, UK nurses that have worked in ICU might be able to have more input but just from my limited experience that it sounds like the New Zealand system is more like the UK. Yeah the the British nurses have had a lot easier time adjusting to it than some of the American nurses um, but yeah yeah it's, mm -hmm. I think we're, we're based on the British system so it's a bit it's quite similar. Yeah I know, Miley, you've talked before about um, that, that, that feeling of, um, like, like Katie just said, basically, you're, you're doing a lot more of the things yourself rather than having the help to, you know, like the, I think you said in the States they had more, you know, people did designated things, but here you're just expected mm. to get on. And do you feel like that? Yeah, so it's... Um it's a mixed bag because as a nurse here, I am expected to get the patient up out of bed, 
shower them, bathe them, help with breakfast, um, help with toileting, which in the States would be something that the, um, like the mental health aides would do or the hospital aides. But in the States, I would probably have five to seven patients, maybe more. And on my ward, if I have more than three patients, um, it's considered a heavy load. So if I have four patients, that's like a heavy load here because you're doing more. The difference is that there's a lot more people around to help. So in the States, I often felt like I'm just on my own. If I needed help with something, everybody's way too busy. There's nobody to ask for help. The managers are, who knows where they are, you know? (laughs) They're too busy to come help on the floor. So it's one of those like, yeah, I'm doing less, but I have more patients and I have no help if I need it. Whereas my current ward, I may have four patients and I'm doing everything for them, but the, uh, like the assistant manager is on the floor and the clinical nurse specialist is on the floor. And we have people, uh, occupational therapists who are helping out. And then we just have extra support staff. So you're not having to do all of that stuff by yourself. Right. So... I would say my experience is there's a lot it, there's a lot more help if you need it and people mm-hmm. are checking in with you they're making sure you're getting your break they're making sure you're getting your lunch um, in the U.S. if you get a full half hour lunch break that's a good day yeah here here if you don't get a half hour break that's like a crazy busy day mm-hmm. you know and you're getting and paid even, for it even on those crazy busy days so like no go go we'll do your work for you. Go. Mm-hmm. You can't miss your break. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. What about schedules and rosters? That's what I've just written down here, Miley. Maybe you want to, you want to just tell me what, <laughs> what that means. Schedules and rosters. What does that mean? Uh, that's very different here than in the States, at least for, um, yeah, for people from the U S I don't know about from the UK. But in the U.S., you can often get a set schedule. So you're only doing day or you're only doing nights. And it's usually 12-hour shifts. And like my last full-time job, I worked every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, so three 12-hour shifts. I knew my schedule every week. Um, And that was really nice in some ways. In other ways, it got kind of old. But here it's a rotating roster. So you're working um, at least on my ward, eight hour shifts. And then you're working either the morning shift one week and then maybe the afternoon shift the next week and then maybe overnight the week after. Or sometimes you're doing two or three different shifts in one week. And so you can't ever count on your schedule being the same. And you, you get your roster about six weeks out in advance. So um yeah that's a big difference and a lot of people from the u.s don't like that because their schedule is all over the place yeah i was gonna say i don't know if i'd like that because you can't really plan can you well you can if you you can you you can plan six weeks but yeah i suppose i don't know if i'd like I, i don't know which one i'd like best i think i'd prefer to know that i was doing those hours and that's what i was always doing so what about you uh victoria what 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 was what was it like in the UK? Um, we, I think it would be similar, really. We 
generally you would be on a rostered and rotating basis, but they would um, accept requests to have set days. So in my last job, I was a district nurse and I did work, we worked long days. So my, they were like 12 hour days. Um, so I worked Tuesdays and Fridays and one weekend a month. So that was what I negotiated, but um, you would have to negotiate that unless you worked in a specific Monday to Friday role, like specialist nurses or clinics or something. Um, yeah, or like, uh, like say day theatre, sometimes they're Monday to Friday, but um, yeah, generally the norm is rostered and rotating. Yeah, and that's the same for this role I have here, I'm rotating. So, yeah, it's Just fun because I didn't work nights before. Um, so I'm, yeah, back to working night shifts that I haven't done in a very long time. So it's, it is hard to get, to get used to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was talking to Sherry. She's uh, She works on the maternity ward, ward up in Auckland, and that's what she said. She said, I gave up nights years and years ago. And she said, so mm. to be back here now doing nights. Uh, yeah, it's, it, does it work the same in, as when you're a nurse? Uh, the, only, the only other night shift I know, my, my brother was a policeman, and it, like, the higher the rank you went up, then you didn't have to do nights. Like, you know, it was at the nights. So all of you have yeah. to do nights. Right. The only no. ones who do nights are generally the um, assistant charge nurse managers or the charge nurse manager, um, which would be the equivalent of manager or assistant manager in the States. Um, but everybody else rotates. Um, yeah. I actually, I actually find the schedule much more flexible here. Uh, because in ICU and on the wards, you do you can do eights and twelves. So, or depending on your your FTE, um, I find it much more flexible. Um, if you have kids, they're quite flexible with weekends. Um, at least where I'm at, and you know, generally the single people who want to make more money do the weekends. So. Mm. Are you able to like swap with people? Are you say, oh, can you say to your friend, oh, I don't want to, yeah, you can do that. So you can say, oh, will you do yeah. my nights next week? Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah so it's flexible yeah. like that then. Well, there's a lot of times too, I don't know about you guys, but they're like, oh, I've got my kids kindy graduation this day. Can someone cover me for two hours? And, you know, people will, they will come in and cover you for two hours and then you go back to work and it's no big deal. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Okay, can we talk about salary? And Miley's written salary, working with unions, holiday hours, differential pay. So, yeah, let's talk about that. S salary, what What did you want to say, Miley, about the salary? <laughs> um, the salary is different here in that it's um, negotiated with the union. So it's a flat rate for depending on your experience and how long you've been a nurse. Um, it's a flat rate through the whole country. So you can find out quite easily what you're going to be making because it's online, it's, you know, on the, the nursing union. Um, whereas in the States, it's, it all depends on 
what state you're in, if you're with a, uh, what kind of hospital you're with. Um, yeah, there's like a huge range in the States, but you could be making a nursing. Whereas here it's, like I said, it's kind of the mm. same depending on your experience. Right. I would add to that, though, that's for the DHBs. That's for the DHB, yeah. The, um, it's really, it's quite um, difficult, really, because the DHBs have just negotiated a pay rise that, well, I say they just, they negotiated for a long time. It went through not so long ago, and it's taken so long that actually they're now negotiating their next pay rise. Um everyone who doesn't work in the DHB then negotiates separately for pay parity with the DHBs. So where I'm working, um, we have, we were under a multi-employer multi collective agreement where all the hospices were joined together and negotiate um, on pay and anything else that they need to negotiate on. Um, and yeah, that only went through. So we're now, we're now behind basically. We're always playing catch up with the DHBs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, you might expect that if you work in any community services, your pay would be a bit lower, but you can mm -hmm. look into that online. You can look up what the multi-employment agreements are the meccas um you can find out um what you would be earning basically if you're working in hospice or in primary care or something victoria how does your pay relate you know how does it compare to what you were getting in the uk for what you were doing um i am working a few more hours because i had to in order to meet the visa requirements you have to work at least uh, 0.8 of full time um, so that's what I'm working and I was probably working about 0.6 or 0.7 back home but otherwise it's reasonably it's about the same I'd say yeah I think I do end up with a little bit more because now I'm doing night shifts they pay a little bit more um, and yeah um, there's there's different things like um, in our agreement like we we were under the Mecca, I said, but we went we went rogue the last one because um, our nurses didn't um, want to agree to that, those terms. So we're now under a SECA, uh, a single employer. It's confusing. Um, but we actually negotiated for one non-clinical day a month. So we get one day that we can work on our PDRP. Um, which is our continued professional development. So that's quite good. There. So there's things that they negotiate for that not just pay, but conditions. That's quite helpful. And it seems to be a lot more successful than the unions in the UK. The unions in the UK just get shot down completely. Um, yeah, just haven't had pay increases really in real terms for a very long time in the uk why do you think they're more successful why is, why do you think the union's more successful here i'm not sure actually i don't know if um yeah i don't know i know that just with the governments we've had in the uk not to go into it too much 
um, certainly haven't wanted to. There's been a pay freeze in the UK for a very long time. Um, not for MPs for some reason, but, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, for public sector workers. So I think they've just stuck with that. But, yeah, it's um, it just seems to work a lot better in New Zealand, and I'm not sure exactly why. Actually, based on my yearly salary, because we, we thought about going to the UK before coming here, and um, we actually make more here than the nurses do in the UK. A good deal mm. amount as well. Really? Um, and I'm talking like, I think it was, I had eight years of experience at the time and it was like maybe 30,000 pounds in London. Mm. And I don't know how to survive on that, mm. really. Um, London as well. They do it. Yeah. Um, but my colleagues from the UK have said they couldn't save any money when they were living there. Um, no. And even working in private hospitals and then um here we make a good good bit more than, than the uk nurses what about holidays and stuff like that what what holidays are you entitled to as a nurse if you dream of moving to new zealand then you are gonna love what i'm about to share with you 12 years ago, when me and Bri emigrated to New Zealand, we were scouring the internet, trying to find any information that we could about what our life would be like when we got here. And basically all we had was YouTube. So we made this vow. We said, when we get to New Zealand, we're going to create something that we can share with others that answers those questions that you're so desperate to know about, like what is your life going to be like when you get here? And that's what I'm here to offer you today. We have created a five-day free, absolutely free video guide that shows you what it's really like to live in New Zealand. This stuff is unique and it is fabulous. You are not going to find it anywhere else on the internet. And like I say, it's absolutely free. You'll be sent a video every day for five days and you will know what it's like in New Zealand. So head over to the website. It's www.nzahead/free. One more time, that's www.nzahead/free. You are going to love it. What about holidays and stuff like that? What what holidays are you entitled to as a nurse? Oh, that's where it gets interesting. <laughs> Go on, let's get in. Well, like today, Miley and I and Dunedin have um, our Otago anniversary day, which is oh. a public holiday here. Each area has one. Um, so if it's on, I think, Miley, correct me if I'm wrong, because they still don't fully understand it. But if like the holidays on Friday, you also get a stat day or extra pay on Monday. So yeah, and yeah, I know, I know. We get if you work today, you get it, and if you work Wednesday, oh. why it's oh. not Tuesday? I don't know, but uh, somebody mm -hmm. at work told me Wednesday is also considered public holiday. So it's that you can so see, you get extra pay, and you get extra, you earn extra time off as well. Mm -hmm. That's good. So how many yeah. holidays do you get all through? Because loads of people ask this, don't they? They're like, oh, yeah, well, the New Zealand get a lot more public holidays than the UK or from, from the US. I've never actually sat down and counted both, but do you feel like you get more time? There's one more public holiday, I think, than we have in the UK. 
Mm. Um, and it would work in the same way as the UK. And I think we have 20 days annual leave um, in the UK because I'd worked so long. I had accrued, I think because I've worked over 10 years in the NHS, I had accrued a lot more holiday. So I have got a little bit less holiday because I'm starting from scratch. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's not too dissimilar from the UK. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but here we get, um, we get our sick leave. So once I've worked a year, I'll get my sick leave bank. Um, I'll get my holiday bank and I earn time off as well each shift I work. Whereas in the States, my sick and my holiday were in the same bank and I had to earn it. So with now nine years, I probably would make maybe three weeks a year. Whereas here you're guaranteed like what, four weeks a year mm-hmm. and some jobs more. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Yeah. And if you work um, evening or night shift, you actually earn extra holiday hours. So it kind of and and you get um a shift differential so you're making more money working those shifts and then you're accruing more holiday hours well that's quite mm-hmm. good then so it's not it's a bit a bit of an incentive isn't it like you know if you know you've got to do a night you're like oh well at least i'm getting a bit more so it just goes towards an extra bit of mm-hmm. holiday for you does it or just a bit of mm-hmm. extra pay yeah yeah. A bit of both. yeah what what's it like what's it like say if you've been working an eight how long is your shift did you say eight hours I do eight hours. Okay. Mm. So say you're on your ward working and you've been there eight hours and it's time for you to go home now. And um, what is there ever the time when someone says, you just can't leave, you've just got to stay on? No? Not really. I have known once. I left on um, an AM shift and... Um, I came in the next morning and the person I'd handed over to was still there. I was like, what? (laughs) Um, But someone had called in sick and someone had had an accident literally as they were leaving home to start their night shift. So she just stayed on out of the kindness of her heart. Obviously, if there would have been a bit more time, um, then that would have been covered by someone else, I imagine. But she just, it was easier to stay on than try and get someone in at that late hour. But yeah, generally, you get to go. The only thing that would keep you is if you've probably not managed your time very well and or it just got busy towards the end and you still have some notes to do. Yeah. But generally, that's it. Yeah. Because you hear these horror stories, don't you, of like, you know, working like 15, 16 hours and they're only getting paid for eight. And yeah, I just wondered if that was the same with, with nurses, but no. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You end up staying late, you do get paid for it. So Right. Yeah. Right, Miley, I'm gonna read read what you've written. You've written government run healthcare, less money to go around than private, impacts on equipment, <laughs> charting, lack of pikes. <laughs> Pixis. 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 I don't know what that is. I think that's a US thing. Oh, Pixis. Go on, Miley. <laughs> you need to teach us now. Um, so I would say one of the, one of the more frustrating things coming from the U.S. to New Zealand is the, at least in Dunedin, I think in a few other cities it's different, but going back to paper charting, 
and not having um, an automated medication dispenser, also known as a fixus. So like Katie was saying before, here you you go to the shelf and you pull your medication and you're mixing up your antibiotics. And in the US, you go to this like little tower thing, Katie. I don't know how you'd yeah. describe it. Drawers yeah, and, and you Yeah, you 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 pick your patients. It's got all the patients in there. Touch pick the patient. Yeah, a touch screen. You go, oh, that's my patient. Yeah. I want it, I want these meds and then it pops out a drawer and you can only open the right drawer for the medication. So it takes away med yeah. error. Yes, room for error, definitely. Uh, it's it's brilliant. And then it gives you what you need. So you don't have to like mix up all these things. You just pull it out yeah. and you're ready to go. The most, the most you have to do is break a little piece off in an IV bag and then mix it up. It's like not like here where you're actually mixing by hand and drawing it all up. Does that feel like a lot of pressure knowing that you're in charge of mixing their medicines up? Yes. Yeah, I bet. Mm. What if you got it wrong? Exactly. (laughs) But here we double check. So in the States, we double, only double checked like some places you would double check an insulin. uh, injection or heparin. Um, but here you double check anything that's IV, Mm. like even just a bag of fluids, which you really take for granted in the States here. You're like, no, Mm. you have to have a second signature on that bag to check that it's not expired and it's the right medication. Mm. So I think that sounds very similar to the UK, although granted it's been a long time since I've been in the hospital. And I know they did go paperless after a while, but I had long gone by then. And so I did have an element of paper. We'd keep paper charts in patients' homes when I was in the community. Um, But yeah, in the community back home, I was on my own, so I couldn't get anything checked. So I would, yeah, be mixing up my antibiotics and, um, yeah, doing IVs and just all of that on my own but in the uk in the hospitals it's the norm to get that checked definitely mm. so i'd even like things like syringe drivers i wouldn't have a second checker with um controlled drugs which i i was a bit like ah when i first went out into the community um but that is the only thing that we check now in the hospital i'm in in new zealand is um controlled drugs we have to check out there needs to be two signatures um, and, um, yeah, we just have to, um, have a second check on our syringe drivers. Yeah. Everything else. We're just getting it from the shelf. Does that feel, does that feel liberating or does that feel backward? Um, (laughs) (laughs) me, I thought you were asking Victoria. Well, Victoria's um, used to it because she went I'm out. Yeah, it. she went out on the road yeah. and mixed her own. But you, you're not. You and Katie yeah. weren't. So how did that feel? Did it feel like, whoa, look at me and mix all my medications, or did it feel like, oh my gosh, this is a bit backward? No, I, I don't like having the increased risk of error because if you're if you're pulling medications by hand and having to double check, and somebody comes in and they're trying to talk to you about you know, a situation with another patient, it's really easy to make a mistake. Mm. And 
the other check that the U.S. had was everything was electronic. So you had a little scanner where you would scan the patient bracelet and then you'd scan each medication before you opened it up and it would say, oh, nope, that that is not the right medication for this patient. And you could go, oh, shoot. Whereas here it's, you know, you better hope that you pulled them correctly. So, yeah, I, I don't like it. I wish that um, and hope that New Zealand will become more electronic mm. with more safeguards. And I was talking to um, Sherry, you know, Dan and Sherry, who live in Auckland, they're, couple of, they're members on our community. And, you know, she's working on the maternity. And she told me that, um, that everything was written down on this paper clipboard. And she said she spent two hours going around the hospital trying to locate her notes that were on this paper clipboard. And she said it was just so frustrating. So yeah, can you relate to that? Is that is that is that what it's like? Yeah. Also, like if you're we do have our medications are electronic, but not you can't scan them. Um, mm -hmm. You have to manually click each one and then chart that it's given. But if someone else is in the medication chart, you can't get in. So you're, you have to kick that person out or you have to wait till they're done if they're actively using it. Mm -hmm. um, so whereas I was on Epic in the States and in Epic, anyone can be on it anywhere in the world with, you know, the login info and the correct use of it. Um, but you could have multiple users on it at one time. So... I find it extremely frustrating and very time consuming, um, unnecessarily time consuming in this mm -hmm. day and age. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of doubling up because we have medication charts, paper medication charts that we have to sign for everything. But then we're also putting that into care plans online. So there's a lot of doubling up of information, definitely. Yeah. It surprises me that about New Zealand because they're, they're so ahead aren't they in in loads of other things you know technically mm. what technology wise and things surprises me that they're still they're being beaten by the uk <laughs> and the us from the sounds of it yeah. a lot more. well we expect it from the us though don't we victoria because mm -hmm. they do everything yeah. they do everything you know properly and right and but yeah i just it's, it does surprise me so are they making a move towards going electronic has anyone ever mentioned it or is it just yeah. like this is yeah they are so there's yeah. some i know like uh canterbury dhb which is like christchurch mm -hmm. area and up there i think they have some form of electronic mm -hmm. the doctor's offices here have electronic like i don't know it kind of looks like a med chart type thing not med chart um whatever i can't remember one of the ones but they've got something I think aged care facilities do as well because our doctors put it onto their chart that they use when yeah. we discharge patient. Yeah. But yeah, we, we don't use that. I don't know why. That's interesting. Okay. What yeah, about that's, sorry, darling. Yeah, go on. Um yeah, I was just gonna say that's part of why I put like um difference in, in the US, there's a lot of private hospital companies that will shell out big bucks for fancy equipment, um, update all their EMR, which is the electronic medical record system. Um, and then, you know, pay their staff less <laughs> or, or make it so nurses just have more patients. 
So you have less nurses on the ward. So that's also why I put in like privatized healthcare versus government run healthcare. So I, I think there's a difference there. Um, in the US, you can just have all the fancy equipment you could ever want, but your staff are working themselves to death. Whereas my experience here is you, there's like on my ward, there's a lot of older, outdated equipment. <laughs> I think Katie has it better. Um, but but the focus is also on, you know, working with the union and making sure nurses are getting paid enough and that nurses aren't being worked to death and get their breaks. And so there's just a, there's, I think that influences also charting and putting the money into upgrading everything to an electronic charting system. It's very expensive mm-hmm. and something's going to have to give, you know. They're much just more, um, uh, do we really need that or do we just want mm-hmm. it here? Um, granted in the ICU, obviously, I think across the board and the whole world, more money is spent in ICU than other places. Um, but we've still had to use the old school. I just learned it coming here, how to hook up a high flow to, I know this won't make sense to you. Sorry, Liz, but hook up an old school high flow to the wall. I've never done that before. I've always had a machine that goes between the wall and the patient. And here it was like, what? I can just do it with the oxygen flow meter. And I forget how I did it now, but just there's still that stuff that happens here. Um, So especially on the wards. and like we used to use BiPAP all the time everywhere in the hospital. You can't use it even in the step down unit here. So it just little things like that are kind of strange and different and they they save money I think where they feel is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Want to add anything, Victoria? Yeah, I, I, it's very different. The way that our hospice is funded, it's, I think, I'm. don't quote me on this, but the um, all of our wages are paid by the DHB, but um, everything else is through fundraising. Um, so, you know, they have like hospice shops and um, they do events and all of that and like people that bequeath money um that kind of goes towards everything else so equipment and everything and so there's a board that decides what can what money can be spent on and what can't so it's i think it just all comes down to money and um what's available um yeah and there is a bit of a make to amend mentality which i think is kind of that is very kiwi isn't it so yeah just sometimes you just if if that works then fine but that said i'm in a brand new building with all brand new equipment because um the previous building was deemed not earthquake safe so um we did have a bigger um like new building completely built so i've only known this lovely new building um yeah so 
it's they they will pay when when they need to pay for things they'll pay for them mm-hmm. i like what you said miley because that really struck a chord about the you know you can have all the fancy equipment and all this and that but you've got nurses that are just pulling their hair out because they're so overworked mm-hmm. so yeah it, i like i like that thinking about that because it, it's a sort of sums up the kiwi attitude doesn't it like you know like they haven't they might not have the fanciest thing but they've got the happiest of the a happier workforce sort of thing so can we Which just is talk funny because i was going to say in, in the uk you've got the worst of both of them <laughs> 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 we've got the um yeah um yeah not not enough staff and um and not that great equipment so you know (laughs) what else do you want (laughs) let's talk about and um oh Liz, just just real quick in in the u.s mental health money does not get put into mental health so i'm very used to having the old outdated equipment in mental health so right coming here i'm like oh yeah (laughs) it's the same i think that's the same everywhere actually in the uk there's just there's they've always said that mental health doesn't get the funding it's because it's not right there it's not the obvious thing that needs the funding and they kind of try and brush it aside and yeah it's unfortunate what about mm. training? Training. So, when you turned up, did you all know what to do, or did you need training? And if so, how was that training? Um, I had an induction. What do you call it? Um, orientation period. Um, so that was. I think it was four weeks. So I had. I spent time with. Um, various different people throughout the hospice and just worked with another nurse for that first month so for the most part um there wasn't any like there was some there is some specific training that as and when it comes available i do but yeah that was it was basically just showing me the ropes of how it all worked did you feel supported yeah and i still do there's always um like staff ratio wise we have like three um palliative care nurses on in the morning um that would include me um and two would be in the um, afternoon shift and two overnight so there's always another nurse to refer to and there's always even overnight there's always always a doctor on call um so if you're ever stuck there's always people to refer to and they've got a wealth of experience so yeah feel very supported okay miley um yeah i would say on my ward i i've felt very supported from day one but i'm also lucky in that i have a lot of mental health experience so none of none of it was necessarily new um it's just more learning how to do it in new zealand so yeah i i feel very supported i really like my ward Mm. um but i do know that the other medical wards can be quite chaotic 
and that they will even occasionally pull if we're overstaffed on my ward, they'll pull us to a medical ward. And it's like, we're mental health. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing on a medical ward. Um, so I'm not looking forward to that. It's strange. I find it really strange that the um, nurses train here. I, I imagine that it might be the same for you, but um, they just train as nurses and then decide what specialty they want to go into. Whereas in the UK, you would pick before you start your nurse degree, you would pick learning disabilities, mental health, paediatrics, um, like general adult, um, which would be what I did, um, or midwifery, you would choose. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't know what to do around a mental health page, well, to an extent. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be able to work in a mental health ward. I, that's not kind of within my scope. I haven't had any training on it. That said, the nurses I've spoken to say mm, they don't really get much training on it either. It's all on the job. Mm. So it is strange <laughs> to me. This is totally off topic, but Victoria, I mean, get correct mm. me if I'm wrong here, but only from when I had my two kids, when, when I had my two kids in England, it was like the nurse was above the midwife. The, you had the midwife and then she would like refer to the nurse. Like if you had a problem, she said, oh, I'll just ask the nurse. I don't know if that's the, if that, that was just the impression. What in England um, or in the UK, who's, who's above who there? There aren't any nurses in midwifery at all. So they might have a charge nurse that would be a midwife. She, um, so that they would be midwifery trained from the start. I think you can train as a nurse and then do a short course, like a 18 month or two year course in order to become a midwife if you wanted to. Um, but most midwives would go straight into the midwifery route. Mm. So they might have referred to a charge nurse just because that's like the sister but they would be a sister of midwifery. Um, yeah, and I think midwifery-wise, the um, New Zealand seems to be similar to the UK in that um, pregnancies are generally midwife-led if they're not complicated. Mm. Um, so a midwife would, you needn't see a um, obstetrician at all um, unless you have any worrying things that the midwife has picked up um, so you could go your whole pregnancy without seeing a doctor mm. um, but I don't I think that's different to the states but, um, yeah yeah I just wonder it's, yeah. yeah it's just my experience from yeah I know that my experience from having my kids in the UK um, yeah, it seems quite a nice system here because a friend of mine had her baby here in New Zealand and she was able to pick her midwife that stayed with her throughout her whole pregnancy and um, birthed her baby and then continued checking up with her. So there's a lot more mm. continuity. That's nice. Um, you can just look... Um, look online at all the midwives and um, see which ones are aligned with your views and how you want to your birth to be. 
And so that was quite a nice way. Whereas in the UK, you kind of get what you're given. You're assigned a community midwife, but that won't be the person that delivers your baby. Um, even if I had a home birth, so it would have just been luck of the draw if I were to get my named midwife in the UK. Um, before, before, how are you all doing for time, by the way? Are you OK for time? I just had a message from Zoom saying, yeah, you can keep going. We like you. We like hearing what you're saying. So you'll keep going. <laughs> so, so it's two o'clock now. So should we just carry on for 15, 20 minutes and see if yeah. we can get through? Is that OK I'm with everyone? Fine. Brilliant. Thank yep. you. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, just before I move on to the community members questions. So, uh, Miley, is there anything else you want to add to that? Because you have written house officers, registrars, consultants and PDRP. Is there anything you want to say? Yeah, there is a couple of things I want to say. One is just going back to um, kind of like Katie's frustration with the hierarchy and change happening the um the dhb system is is going away so there's a new and katie help fill me in here there's a new um government entity coming in to take over the healthcare, and i think they're hoping to streamline or fix some of the frustrations currently happening okay yeah that's that's all I know as well. That's it's just the mm -hmm. one DHB is what I've heard. But mm -hmm. oh, for all of the like one, just one instead, <laughs> instead of like like NHS, DHB. Yeah. yeah, that sounds very similar to NHS England. Um, in the UK, we have what would be the equivalent to the DHBs would be NHS trusts, I think, in the UK. And then we would have NHS England that would make all the big decisions. I don't know how much it helped or helps. <laughs> it's just more, more middle management. <laughs> but yeah, I think <laughs> I think the problem is like, I know the southern DHB. So that would be kind of Otago, um, Southland, and Vicargo area does tend to get the worst rap of the DHBs from what I've heard. Um, it, people even on Facebook online being like, don't go, don't go down to the Southern DHB. You know, like the other DHBs are better run. They have more money. They have better equipment. So I don't, I don't know why that is. And I don't know if this would help with disparities across the different DHBs or if it's just going to make it more of a well, we are also, nightmare. So we're, we are, we cover the largest area land area. Mm -hmm. So we are helicoptering people from, we've even helicoptered people from Twizel and Canterbury area, Mount Cook down to here based on the weather patterns. We get people from Queenstown. We get, all the traumas from Queenstown um, we get from Milford, we get we get a huge area of people. So it's quite a rural setting as well. Um, mm. And I think we have much more rural, a much more rural population than the rest of New Zealand. Um, so it's yeah, things are things are different here, definitely. And and for good reason in some respects, but um, 
we also seem even very distant from Canterbury DHB or Christchurch area. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so not saying don't come here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we love Dunedin, but just, just be aware that um, the Canterbury DHB is probably more up to date. Than... Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's but good we're getting a new hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in eight years. <laughs> It's good to hear all the different sides of it anyway. I think it's this is why we're doing this, isn't it? Because if you're coming over here working as a nurse, you want to know the truth. You, you know, it's all very well saying, oh, yeah, it's a beautiful city and everything like that. And But you, what your job is going to entail, isn't it? You know, so it's it's great what you the three of you are doing here is just shining some light because I wouldn't imagine you can find this information anywhere. No. 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 So yeah. good on you. Thank you. <laughs> So Miley, anything else on the registrar's consultants? Yeah, just a, just a quick note that when I first got here, there were all these people on my ward with all these different titles. And I was like, I don't know who the hell is who or who to go to or like, I, I have no idea what's going on. Um, part of that's because we work with Otago University. So there's a lot of medical students around. But the hierarchy here is very different than the U.S., where you pretty much just have, like, doctor, internist, medical student, you know. It's like, it's not that complicated. Um, here, there's a lot of um, new titles that take some getting used to, um, which I don't know if it would be helpful to go into or not, but just, just a heads up that, you may meet a lot of people on your ward and just try and figure out who does what. Mm. Katie, do you want to add anything to that? Um, there's still the juggle. Oh, that's not my problem. You need to talk to this group or you need to talk to that group. Um, but generally, I feel like overall, even the um, the registrars, the um, even the consultants who are like, you know, your intensivist in ICU, um, they're generally more helpful and they're happy to teach you stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a lot of pathways here where you are, as a nurse, you are able to just act on the pathway unless there's something outside of that and then you would notify the team and then they would handle it or help you. Um, so there's a, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I think that works pretty well because the registrars aren't stuck in one specific area for a long time. They get to see all different types of areas. So they get to work in vascular or they get to go to urology or cardiac. So they get to see all these different aspects of the medicine, of the medical system. And so they, I feel like their knowledge overall is a bit better, um, which, which I quite like, but did take a bit of getting used to to know who does who does what mm -hmm. I think and yeah, and very similar to the UK sorry um, but yeah that we in the UK we historically had house officers and senior house officers but now they're FY1 and FY2 um, and registrars and consultants we did have these strange um, like clinical fellow which I think are probably 
international doctors that have worked at consultant level outside of the country um, but need to do something in order to become a consultant in the country. So I think it seems to be quite similar. Um, but they, it's all, well, where I work in the hospice, it's very collaborative. So mm. you can yeah, just chat to one of the consultants or whoever the doctor is looking after your patient and voice your concerns, suggest something, and they'll take it on board. So, yeah, yeah it does seem very um, collaborative. Yeah, and I'll second that. Um, I never feel like I need to keep my mouth shut about my opinions on a patient because the whole team we all listen to each other there's a lot of people who are invested in this patient getting better from a mental health standpoint and a medical standpoint and we do all collaborate and if I have a suggestion or I say well, have you thought about this you know there there's very little ego with the um yeah. with the doctors here and the medical students mm -hmm. so they don't take offense they just sort of go oh yeah that's interesting and then we talk about it and you know you call the doctors by their first name here yeah. so it's, yeah. compared to the u.s uh which is the doctors have so much ego <laughs> mm -hmm. just not all of them but most of them it's really refreshing to actually feel like you're part of the team and you're not just a nurse yeah mm -hmm. You're never just a nurse. <laughs> Sometimes. You've ever ever mm. been called staff, staff. <laughs> Get nurse. that from a doctor. <laughs> Old school doctors will go, staff. <laughs> you're not you're not you're not any someone with a name, you're just the staff nurse. Mm. I'm just going to run yeah, through not, some, not some, of, some of the uh, questions that people put out into the community. Um, when I said that we were going to be chatting to you. Um, Miley, are you happy to go forward with that? Have you got anything else that you needed to, wanted to talk about on that? We'll probably come up around it anyway in the next few questions, but how happy are nurses in general in New Zealand? They do we're not, like we're to not asking Katie. <laughs> <laughs> you just mute yourself, girl. <laughs> I <like it. laughs> I'm I'm happy to answer for just um, my team, although I'm obviously I'm not in the DHB, um, but my team they do moan about things, and I do think it's like when Kiwis moan about the traffic, and I have to laugh. <laughs> it's just um, <laughs> I'm like, well, oh, but it's really it could be worse. It really could be worse. Um, like patient ratios at the moment, yeah. we to uh, because of covid we have an eight bedded um inpatient unit in the hospice um and we're at the moment only able to accept four patients so we would still have the same amount of nurses we need at least two nurses on um just to check all of our controlled drugs and have a, for medication checks and things so um there's always going to be at least two nurses and <laughs> there might only be four patients and palliative care patients they sometimes there are a lot of psychosocial things going on that you have to deal with so it's probably in that sense 
similar to mental health side of things really but um yeah they're like two patients really like three or four patients is seen as heavy um and you know it's um in the uk when i was working on the wards as a newly qualified nurse i would have be in charge of half the ward which was a 28 bedded ward so i would have 14 patients i would have healthcare assistants um like two two in the morning to assist and um, one in the afternoon but that was a heavy ward that was an orthopedic rehab ward so you know it's heavy in the uk and that's it's only got worse since i left the hospital to be honest um so yeah i feel like certainly in the hospice it's it is a nice shift it's always a nice shift to be honest yeah i had three step down patients in the us with lots of with infusions and alcohol withdrawal and blah 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 so to hear about staffing here i'm i'm happy that they're complaining because yeah then it won't get to the way it was in the states or in the uk um so i'm happy but it also makes me laugh 100%. Yeah. what about you miley living on a nice nice happy happy ward there yeah, I would say um, I would say we're pretty happy on the ward, but yeah, if if it's busy, if it's Kiwi busy, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of moaning and bitching, and I'm kind of looking around like we're still able to take a break and like have water and and eat and and talk to each other, so. Yeah, it's, it's good that they don't know how crazy it can be. Um, but sometimes I do just kind of roll my eyes like, okay, <laughs> they're there. Um, this is a good question. Someone said, how accepted are tattoos, piercing and unnatural hair color <laughs> for nurses? So what, yeah, what, what yeah, do you think? Go for it, go for mm. it, yeah. So if you turned up with pink, pink, well, like bright pink hair with on all these piercings, they would just say, "Yeah, okay, you're allowed to be a nurse." They'd be they okay with that? Yeah. One of and our ICs had like color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. I was just going to say tattoos are quite a big part of Maori yes. culture, mm-hmm. and so they wouldn't be able to say no to tattoos. No. Just no. that's just part of New Zealand really as a little side um, note Sunny Sunny's girlfriend came for dinner last night and she she works at McDonald's and she said that she's not allowed double piercings in her in her ears to work at McDonald's so you just well, think yourself lucky you nurses yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Victoria sorry I interrupted you what were you saying darling no I don't um yeah there's there's people with bright hair in my in my hospice and piercings like nose piercings and things so yeah no one's said anything mm. and that's a really good point about the moldy tattoos as well yeah it's mm. it's very very it's it's the norm in new zealand if anything isn't it you know tattoos mm. i think that's yeah. um i don't know i don't know about the states but 
is, is it not do you not go for tattoos over I there I think it's no no I think it's becoming like most people would have to wear a sleeve over their arm or something like that but I think it's starting to shift hmm. um especially if it's a tasteful tattoo or something it's not like racist or hmm. you know hmm. um stuff like that but it um yeah, people, it's not like I love hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it just, yeah. Like if it was a tribal tattoo, they would be expected to cover it up because it is a tattoo and it could offend someone. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's shifting. Yeah. All right, I'll keep going because I've got quite a lot of questions to get through. How different is the hiring process and how are interviews conducted? We, we all did it we all did it by zoom and things didn't we yeah because of covid mm. <laughs> yeah but i feel like with a lot of the um like if you've done an interview on zoom um new zealand at least for us has been hiring overseas so if you are overseas you're going to do a zoom interview anyway so it's not that bad mm. um one thing i will say is i didn't feel like i had to sit and brag about myself I just felt like I had a conversation, like it was an hour long conversation with the manager. Um, and yeah, it was quite easy. I mean, they obviously asked me questions about my skills and whatnot. Um, an interview I went on in the States was um, for ICU before I had any ICU experience. Um, tell us about a time when you provided great customer service. And I, I didn't say it out loud, but in my head, I'm like, are you effing kidding me? You want me to tell you about customer experience and I've never done ICU and here I am interviewing for ICU. You're joking. Mm. <laughs> here it was, my skills were worked into the conversation about who I am, where I'm from, what I do. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> That's just so much more laid back, isn't it? And and more, it seems like they want to know you as a person and what, you know, what you can bring as a person as well. It's, they're so laid back like that, aren't they, the Kiwis? Miley, how was yeah. your experience? Uh, just like Katie said, very, very casual. Um, curious about my story, why I want to come here. Uh, more questions about like how I work in a team. You know, so I think they're less interested in show me how awesome you are, more like how will you fit into the team here? Mm -hmm. um, but Katie, I had to laugh because customer satisfaction or whatever, that's such a U.S. <laughs> healthcare <laughs> thing. Ugh, I do not I'm miss that. I'm sure one of the questions is how cold was your water? Was your water cold enough? Like, it's that ridiculous. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Not really one of the questions, but just like yeah. that's how school it is. Like it just feels, yeah. And it doesn't. You're, feel you're like trying, yeah. No, you're in the U.S. You're trying to keep the customers yeah. happy, regardless of what they need. And hospitals get judged on that, and then hospitals get more or less money based on customer satisfaction. It's such bullshit. Mm, it is. Ugh, anyways, that is crazy. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? I don't miss it's, that. It's less formal than the UK, I'd say, the interview process. I had three interviews um, for jobs over here. 
and they were all just very informal chats. It was um, with, there were normally two people um, that were interviewing me and it was just quite an informal discussion really. But they did have questions that they asked, um, but there were no, I think they kind of understood that perhaps I wouldn't be up to, even though I'd really um, read up on all of the policies and procedures, um, they didn't expect me to know any of it. Um, they just, they wanted to have a bit of um, an idea of how um, you deal with respecting other cultures. So that's quite a big thing. Um, yeah, so I had to have an experience of that that I could provide. Um, yeah, and just um, anecdotal kind of um, experiences with patients and how you dealt with scenarios. It was, I suppose, quite scenario-based, but it was an informal discussion. Like um, some interviews in the UK, if you get to a um, level where you're going for like a sister or charge nurse position, it would be you'd have to do a presentation and there was nothing like that. Mm. Mm. I love that. I love that they're just, that makes me so proud of the Kiwis that they're just, they're, they're more interested in how, you know, how you integrate with other cultures and like your, your well-being and how you are as a person rather than, I'm not saying that they wouldn't think that your qualifications were relevant, but it's almost like, obviously you've got the qualifications, otherwise you wouldn't be applying for the job, you know, mm -hmm. but it's, it's that, I love that they're, they're looking for that in an interview, like just seeing who the real person is working as a team, being with other cultures, just, yeah, just, it's very holistic, isn't it? You know, it's just, mm. I really like that. Good old Kiwis, well done. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Right, okay, so hang on. Did anyone have a difficult time with the registration process that required you to submit an appeal? No, I didn't. Nope. <laughs> it was a long process. Um, mm. I think by the time it gets to um, the nursing council in New Zealand, a, a person, an actual human being is dealing with your case. So I do, I think that she might have requested I um, upload something additional before she formally reviewed it. So I think they just, they're quite sensible and hopefully it wouldn't get to declining and appealing as much. Mm -hmm. I think the only thing, like I know some nurses who've come from like Singapore or the Philippines or um, or even India, they, um, if English is not your first language and you're not practicing in English, they'll have you take, um, and also if you haven't come from, I think it's the US, UK or somewhere else, but basically even like some places in Europe, you'll have to come and you'll have to do a CAP course um, which is basically just kind of like getting you up to speed. Um, and then you have to provide uh, English proficiency as well. Um, I know that can take a few months, like I think, I forget if it's a few months or six weeks or something like that. But in any case, um, I think from the US and the UK, it's quite, um, the qualifications are recognized pretty readily. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because yeah, does that answer this question then? They said, how different are the certifications, certifications, e.g. ACLS, BLS, PALS? Does that answer that question? No. <laughs> Tell me. No, so those are, I actually looked it up because, so in ICU, we obviously have to have, ACLS is advanced cardiac life support, and we obviously have to have that. Um, because we're pushing medications to jolt the heart or we're shocking or whatever. Um, but BLS and ACLS are generally the same. Um, PALS, you can take, it looks like they do do PALS here. I don't know why I don't have that because I occasionally have to take care of pediatrics, but it's not a requirement for me apparently. Um, but there is a two-day course in Auckland and I'm assuming it's the same. I did have to retake ACLS, even though I had just renewed prior to coming here. Um, but it's pretty much the same thing. It's just called something slightly different. Okay. All right. Thank you, Katie. So someone said, I think this was Priscilla said, um, since they have universal health care, does that mean they have the same policy and procedures across all public hospitals or is it still unit hospital specific? Does that mean yeah. just they do everything the same across all hospitals or is it like like schools, I suppose, isn't it? It's, you know. Yeah, it's there's overarching stuff um, that you can look up online, but generally each unit and hospital does things a bit differently. Right. They would each kind of look to the same um, like gold standard or um, yeah, so in the UK, we had um, NICE, the National Institute for Clinical Excellence, which I actually looked up and there is something similar here and I forget what it's called. And they, I think they actually work with NICE. Um, so yeah, all policies will be set by individual DHBs or um, yeah, or like settings. Um, but they will all be referring to the same like evidence basically. Yeah. yeah, or like we have, if we get a pediatric patient, we're not a pediatric ICU, but we're a general ICU and we will get peds. Uh, we will have, we will communicate with Starship in Auckland, which is the pediatric hospital. Um, and we will fly anybody that we need to up there. But in the meantime, while we're waiting for a team to come down and get the patient or the, the child, we'll be using their guidelines to care for the child. So um, there are things like that, that it's, you know, the, the DHBs do communicate. Um, and mm -hmm. if there's something that we don't do here, um, like a specific cardiac case or something like that, we'll call up Christchurch and then we'll call up Wellington or you know so they definitely communicate yeah so it would just that answer the question that says is there a shared nursing model across all hospitals does that answer that question yes oh yeah um there's probably we'd you'd probably all just be like going by the um code set by the like New Zealand Nursing Council, mm -hmm. I guess. And then you would follow policies for individual things um, that are set by your individual 
like DHB or setting. Would that sound? Sounds about yeah. about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Victoria. Mm. Um, and we sort of talked about this before, didn't we? What's the leadership structure like for nurses? Um, do they have names such as charge nurse, clinical manager, chief nurse? Like hierarchy? Was, is, mm. is that what we were talking about earlier? Is, or is, are they just all one, one level? No, there's staff nurse. Um, then there's um, ACNM, which is assistant charge nurse manager. Um, and that would be charge nurse um, in the States. Um, and then there's, um, oh no, sorry, associate charge nurse manager, I think is ACNM. And then I think there's an assistant charge nurse manager, which is above that. I could be wrong because mm -hmm. I know. I yeah. just don't, I don't you like just know them by their name. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the charge nurse manager and then there's the, um, the consultants, which are also called, um, SMOs. Um, yeah, that's, mm. that's what we've got. Yeah. We have a clinical nurse specialist as well, who, um, handles the education part, but she also will help out on the ward quite a bit. So she's very useful. Plus educators too. Yeah. Do you happen I think to it's know? Fairly streamlined oh, where I am. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Um, yeah, it's it's we're all palliative care nurses that are on the floor, and then we have um, just a coordinator of the inpatient unit, and then the director of nursing. Um, that would be the hierarchy. And then we we also have a community team that have a similar hierarchy, although they do have pa palliative care facilitators who run, look after certain areas in the community um, that um, report to the coordinator. And then, yeah, they have an um, ARC team, which is the aged residential care team. It's, I think it's the same, but I don't know too much about them. But yeah, but it's a bit streamlined. It's interesting what you said earlier, though, Victoria, about how you feel as if, or, you know, you can just go and ask one of the doctors because they're not, you know, like, oh, don't ask me because I'm a doctor, I'm important. You know, it's just, it seems to be, mm. the, the feeling I'm getting is like, you could just go to anyone and ask, can you help me? And they wouldn't be like, you know, don't ask me that. Is that right? Am I, am I right mm. in thinking that? Certainly would be in my hospice, but then it's quite a small team. It's quite close knit and they're all, yeah, quite invested in the patients that we have on our, in our service. So yeah, definitely for me. Yeah. Anyone want to add anything before I move on? No? Oh, I think you mentioned earlier PDRP. It's not really necessarily a, um, an advancement or like a, if you jump a level or anything, but you do get you do get a bonus, and then you get um, it's just recognized by the nursing council that um, you may not have to prove um, like someone who doesn't do the PDRP may get audited, and have you kept up your end of the bargain with your license and things like that? Where is if you're doing your PDRP, that's proof that you've been keeping up your license, and you get a bit of money on top of that. All right, and um, yeah. Yeah, there's two different options, aren't there? Or I've yet to actually 
start doing like properly doing my PDRP. Um, um, so you can get proficient or expert level. Yeah. So you they, start, yeah, you start with proficient because then you can basically just reuse it to do expert. But if you have to do like something special to get expert, so. Uh, I think there has to be an element of teaching an expert. Um, something extra that you have to prove. So mm -hmm. basically yeah. proficient first. But it, it's it, people coming from the UK, it's similar to the continued professional development and the information that you'd have to provide every three years um, in order to re-register with the Nursing Midwifery Council. It's a very similar process, but it is also, if you do your PDRP, it is tied into a little pay rise or pay increase, yeah. So does that answer the question, do they support nursing advancement? Is that what you, t you were just talking about then? That's definitely part of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but like right now we've got, um, they've opened up an NP position. So one of our ACNMs has gone into an NP pathway, uh, nurse practitioner. So um, she will be, she's training in our ICU. She's doing her classes, I think, probably through Massey um university and she's training with our doctors in our icu so she's doing her clinical hours with us and <clears throat> i think they're working toward that but right now i think the country only has like 300 nurse practitioners or something um, but clinical nurse specialist seems to be the next step here but i don't think there's not a good like one of my clinical nurse specialists said she's been on the same pay for the last 19 years or something crazy. So I don't think there's the same advancement pay wise as for us bedside nurses or community nurses, but um, there are a few different options like that. And sometimes they will sponsor you, uh, but you have to have the right visa as well. So like right now I can't do the critical care course because it would be, I can't get sponsored because I don't have residency. I'm on a visitor work visa. Um, and then basically all I have left to do is, I think two or three papers to have a master's degree, but I can't start that until I've gotten residency. So the only thing I can do right now is PDRP. Um, and yeah. And then once you do have residency, everything just really, really opens up. Mm. Fingers crossed your residency comes through quickly. Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> um, is the patient at the centre of the care? And the, uh, I think this was Eric and he said, I asked this because sometimes it feels like opening up beds, money and discharges are what drives the US system kind of talked about that, didn't we, about the, uh, Miley, do you want to say something there? Yeah, I will say um, on my ward, one of the things that struck me and still surprises me is that it really is what's best for the patient. And we may have a patient be on our ward for months while they're 
um, going to assess their home, doing home visits, talking to the family, doing um, occupational therapy assessments to see if they are safe to go home and do simple things like make a make breakfast or use the toilet safely by themselves. And if they don't really pass those tests, then they start looking at, okay, do we put them in what kind of a rest home placement do we put them in? Um, and there's a lot of people involved in discharge planning for, at least for my ward, for older people with memory issues or, you know, chronic schizophrenia or whatever. And they don't seem to rush it. They don't seem to just like, okay, we need to open up a bed. So you're just going to go here. They really take their time with it. Um, making sure there's a community team in place or making sure the family's totally on board or whatever it is. And they'll even do like practice runs where the patient will go home for the weekend to see how they do with their family. And if it doesn't go well, they'll come back and then we'll come up with another plan. So in the U.S., that would never happen. First of all, you would never send a patient home as a trial <laughs> because you'd be worried about a lawsuit, you know, if that patient injured themselves or something happened. Um, and then you would just be rushing it in the U.S. And in the U.S., mental health is the revolving door because of that, because we just spit them out and they're back three weeks later. So... Yeah, I would say much more so than the U.S., it's patient-centered and what's actually best for the patient. That answers that perfectly. You too, do you want to add to anything? I just know that when my last job in the States was charge nurse and as, you know, as soon as the little discharge car pops up on Epic, um, the house officer, sorry, the house supervisor would be calling me When's your patient leaving? When is your patient leaving? I have a patient waiting in the ED for you. Like as soon as that patient is out, I'm calling for a stack clean on your room and they would get someone to come in and clean the room. Oh, here's your next patient. Um, and you would fight it. You would push back because you're seeing what's going on on the floor. You're seeing that your nurse is struggling to keep up with her work, but that doesn't matter to them because it's all about the almighty dollar and um, it's really just pushing beds. It's how quick can we get this patient stabilized and out of here? Um, how quick can we get a new patient in to replace the other one? Um, and here they also don't um, flex nurses off like they do in the States. So they'll, you'll be working. And just say for like at the beginning of COVID, we had no patients because no one was coming to the hospital. So they would flex half the staff off and they'd have two, three nurses working before. Um, but here, those extra nurses, um, A, stay on shift, but also they're helping the patients that are there. <clears throat> um, like, here we have hardly any pressure ulcers. And I know this might not mean anything to you, Liz, but like that just shows the A, that the patients are a bit more healthier here, but also that there's a bit more meticulous care involved because you're not rushing as much. Um, they really take time to look at the problem and figure it out. How can I help this patient? the number of times I've had a patient where it's like, 
I don't think that person should be swallowing. And it's, they'll tell me, all right, but this person's at the end of their life. What gratification do they have left? How can we provide this patient dignity? All they want is a cup of water. How can we do that and still provide that for them? You know, in the States, you would just be afraid of a lawsuit and you wouldn't give them anything to eat. You wouldn't, you know, you'd push them toward getting a feeding tube and that's how it is. We're here. It's accepting reality, the, the person as they are and allowing them simple pleasures at the end of their life or, you know, and it's, it's quite, it's, I, I would say nursing here is much more beautiful in that regard. Or I think even like with, with, um, Maori individuals, it's, um, keeping that person whole, not leaving someone alone at the end of life, you know, things like that, where it's just, it's really focused on that person rather than, well, I have a job to do. I need to get it done. Yeah. And just, just to add on one of the, um, when I did mental health in the States, one of the areas I would help cover was actually the insurance area where you would call the insurance company and fight to get the patient's length of stay extended, which means get the hospital bill covered by insurance. And it's such a joke because you have these really sick patients, but the insurance company would be like, well, have there been any medication changes today? Well, have they needed any PRN medications? Well, have they hit anybody? So the doctors would make medication changes that weren't needed in order to keep this patient in the hospital covered. Because once the insurance company is like, oh, we're not going to pay anymore, they don't need it. The insurance company who's never seen the patient and has nothing to do with healthcare would decide this patient doesn't need to be here anymore. And then you have to get the patient out because the hospital loses money. So yeah, talking to these insurance agents was maddening. <laughs> it just like highlighted everything that's wrong with the American system of healthcare. Mm-hmm. What about you, Victoria? I, I for, yeah, uh, we, we have a whole team of um, family therapists. So we have um, things like art therapy, music therapy for the Fano family for um, for the patients themselves. Um, we have social workers, occupational therapists, physiotherapists. Um, so we're looking at everything that that patient needs um, and maybe that they're going to, we're a short stay facility, so maybe they'll be um, going home or maybe they'll be moving on to aged care or maybe they'll be here for end of life. Um, so yeah, it's just, um, we kind of play it by ear really. And um, yeah, we've got a lot of input, so it's, it is very holistic. Well, that's a massive yes to that question, isn't it? Is the patient at the centre of the care? Yes. Um, and you just said, I've got this other question, but you've just answered it, Victoria, because are there any social workers and case managers? So there are social workers and case managers. Certainly in my unit, yeah. Mm. Yeah. What about you two, uh, Miley? Um, 
my recent experience going out to the ward and doing a discharge, um, there's not case management to the um, extent that there is in the states. You don't have a case manager. Um, and maybe this was just my experience, um, but I had to send a referral out to the district nurse to get this patient her long-term antibiotics. Um, I had to do all these other things that normally would have been done by a case manager, but we had to figure them out at the bedside. Um, we do have social workers, but I don't have, like in my last hospital, I had a social worker and a chaplain who was assigned to my unit and I would know exactly who to call. Where here, it's like you just call the line, hey, I need a social worker and someone will get to it when they get to it. Um, and they're not as involved, as heavily involved in the patient as they were in the States um in my opinion um, but yeah yeah i would agree we have a social worker but i hardly ever interact with her it's mainly our um associate charge nurse manager who becomes kind of the case manager for the patient so she sends out the referrals she does a lot of the coordinating um and even our registrars and health officers will do some of the coordinating as well. So it seems like the pieces that the case manager would do sort of get spread out to yeah. the nurses and the um, and other staff. Okay, I've got one more question. How are inpatient rounds typically conducted? Is nursing involved and other disciplines involved? Katie? Yes, for us. Oh, Victoria, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, we, um, every day, our doctors that are based in our hospice would um, go and do a ward round. Um, and we would, we don't, as nurses, we don't have to be there, but um, we do tend to choose to because generally we've only got one or two patients. Um, and then we would have a multidisciplinary team meeting every morning as well. So that would involve the um, physios or OT, um, the social worker, um, doctors, nurse, and um, I think oh, pharmacist, have I said that? Yeah, there would probably be about six different people just discussing what the patient needs and any changes that need to be made. Hi, Margaret. <laughs> um, ours, ours are with the registrars, the um, senior medical officer, the consultant, um, and that's that's pretty much it, really. Um, they come to each bed space. Um, and they talk about the patient and really i think it's a uh, margaret stuff um it's generally a um like a teaching moment for the registrars um and then the nurses definitely can have their say and will ask for anything we need or whatever we need charted or we need them to come do things like that um but i think and then out on the wards it seems to be um 
a good time for the the new doctors, all the level of doctor trainees and seniorities and whatnot to essentially get educated on the patient condition. Um, and sometimes the nurses aren't really as involved there because they're just too busy to get there. Obviously in ICU, we just stay at our one spot and that's pretty much it. Um, but yeah, pretty similar, I guess, to the states. We just don't have case manager, social worker. Um, we don't have a pharmacist that comes with us. Um, she does her own stuff. Um, Anything you want to add, Molly? Yeah, I, um, I think our ward is a little different. So Monday and Friday morning, we do like a quick touching base with um, the whole team. And then every Wednesday morning, we have our multidisciplinary uh, team meeting. But we do have a pharmacist. We have an uh, occupational therapist, consultant, registrar, house officer, trainee interns. Um, clinical nurse specialist, associate charge nurse manager, and there's probably one or two other people I'm forgetting. So yeah, we'll have like 10 people in a, in a room or now multiple rooms because of COVID um, and the nurse just talking about uh, goals of care for the patient and any changes that are needed. Oh, well, uh, I don't want to let you go. I'm like, oh, I like talking about this. It's just so interesting. Um, but we've been going now for nearly two hours. So oh, I, I just want to, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for everything you do. And secondly, I want to say thank you for joining me on this, on this Zoom call because what you've just done for other nurses out there who are coming to work in New Zealand is absolute gold because yeah, just shedding light on that is, is just, is magnificent. Can I just quickly ask you before you go, um, Victoria, I mean, I mean, I watched, I watched all three of you come over before you came to New Zealand and I, I listened to your doubts and you know, you, what you, what, what you didn't know what to expect and all your questions that you had, has your experience been better or worse or what you expected in New Zealand as a nurse? Um, it's certainly better than the conditions I was working in the UK. It was probably what I expected, um, because I had done as much research as I possibly could. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that said, I, I wasn't expecting quite the patient ratios we have. So in a sense, it's, um, it's better because I can give really great focused patient care. Um, sometimes though, I feel a little bit like my wings are clipped. There's certain things that we don't do. Um, like things that we would call district nurses in for. And I'm like, Oh, but I was a district nurse. I could probably do that. Um, uh, yeah. So, but otherwise, Definitely, it's a, it's a better environment to work in, definitely. Miley? Uh, yeah, I would second what Victoria said. I think um, it's a better experience overall. There are some things that nurses don't do on my ward that I would do, especially when I was doing um, hospice in the US. 
like just inserting foley's or um i guess that's the main one <laughs> yeah. but it's like i can do that and then the doctor we, does it we don't so. do ips or anything with the doctors would do that um, yeah. To yeah. Touch an IV. Apparently, we can't even remove an IV cannula because our hospice doesn't cover that. Oh, I mean, wow. for us, healthcare assistants do that in the UK. You know. <laughs> if you were to give one piece of advice for a nurse coming over to New Zealand to work, what would it be? Just one piece of advice. What would you give her, Victoria, or him? Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, but what I, I um, always tend to say nurses and I always say she, her, and, and then Emil said, no. excuse me, you know, I'm like, oh, God, you know. Oh, no. um, Let's not forget our male nurses. Yeah, um, I, it's hard to say actually, a bit of advice. Um, just, I think don't be afraid to ask for help no question is a stupid question because it's a completely different it's a completely different system to what the one you've worked in before so although your clinical skills might be the same your um there might be slightly different processes and policies um and it's, there's just different ways of doing things so just um you might just seem a bit feel like you're a bit stupid for a while but generally everyone has been really happy to help or offer advice to me so I just wouldn't worry too much about that any any patient load you have is not going to be anywhere near as bad as <laughs> as you've previously had to deal with for most people so you just there's always generally going to be someone there to refer to Katie, piece of advice? Um, I would echo Victoria, um, but also just with that, just be open. Um, yeah, just really basically everything Victoria said and just be open, yeah. be open to new things, be open to change. I mean, obviously if you're moving here, you're probably already open to change. So just try not to be too shocked and you know yeah thank you miley yeah i would echo both of them i was gonna say the same thing it's gonna be you're gonna think you're really experienced and you've got it in the bag and then you're gonna show up and be like why do i feel like i just started nursing and that's totally normal and it gets better um, and also check your ego at the door. So it's great to have a different background and different experience, but don't walk in being the, um, well, we wouldn't do it this way. And that's not how we did it. And why the hell are you doing it this way? Um, Kiwis don't really appreciate <laughs> ego. So they will listen to suggestions, but, you know, tact can go a long way. Okay. Oh, well, thank you so much, you three. Really, really, really appreciate you spending your time today with, with and doing this for me and, uh, and for all the nurses out there. So just 
big shout out and a big thank you to you. Love all three of you. You're gorgeous. All I ever think when you're talking is if I wasn't very well and I was in hospital, I'd really want them looking after me. <laughs> That's all I ever think is, like, oh, I'd love it if they looked after me. So well done. And, um, and thanks very much. Oh. Well, okay. thanks. If, if they've made it this far, well done to all the <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> are you still hello <laughs> well we had fun <laughs> you get the prize <laughs> no i did think that i thought but you know what if you're a nurse you could go on you'd want you just mm. wouldn't want this to stop would you you'd just be like oh just please keep going so no i don't absolutely yeah, yeah. this is valuable valuable mm. stuff so right all go and enjoy mm. your mondays and thank you very much once again and i'll speak to you soon Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. We have loved having you here with us. If you love this week's show, please share this with your friends. Send it to anybody you know that wants to think about moving to New Zealand and get on over here yourself. And tell them how brilliant it is as well. And also, if you haven't signed up for our free five-day video guide showing you what life is like, really like, in New Zealand, then go over to the website and sign up. You are missing out. This is brilliant. Go over to www.nzahead/free. And we will send you five days worth of videos about what life is like in New Zealand. You are going to love it. So one more time, that website that you need to sign up for the free five-day guide is www.nzahead/free. So we're going to see you next week. Until then, have a great week and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Say bye again. Bye. Bye. <laughs>